The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and the number one show for the invested sports fan. Winner, winner, chicken dinner! Four! You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Action Network Podcast, the golf edition, of course. I'm Jason Sobel from Golf Bet. And as mentioned last week, Peter Jennings, my longtime co-host here on the pod, here on the gimme, uh, is, is moving on to bigger and better things, parenthood. So we wish Peter uh, good luck in everything, and he'll still come on the pod every once in a while and join us and hang out a little bit, still doing his thing. But I am so happy to announce that my new pod partner is a guy who I worked with at ESPN, then I worked with at Golf Channel, and now I get to work with him again. He's the head of content at 15th Club. You guys all know him. Justin Ray, the stat master of golf, the best numbers guy in the game. What's going on, Jay Ray? Thanks for having me. I'm just following you around, you know, place to place. Yeah, You got to ESPN before I did. You got to Golf Channel before I did. And now I'm just latching onto your pod here. Your ex-partner is a few months ahead of me. My wife and I are expecting our first in May. Well, there'll be awesome. more like 3 a.m. European tour watching in the middle of the summer, I think, for both of us. Well, that's I fantastic. I, first of all, I wasn't sure if I was following you or you were following me all over the place. So uh, <laughs> we just way. follow each other. It's fine. Uh, strength yeah. in numbers. And secondly, uh, as a two-time dad myself, it's uh, you're in for it. Just buckle up. We're um, excited. But- for my wife because i'm not a small man and this kid is like in the 99th percentile of every, <laughs> i feel for her and whatever she's gonna go through the next several months but then when the little tyrant is here and you know i've got some monster child running around i mean his dad was six feet tall and 200 pounds in little league so hopefully he can replicate my peak of my athletic career age 11 and 12 and then it was all downhill from there it's funny and i'm not a very large man, but I, I found, I dug out of the closet the other day, a jersey that my mom had made for me when I was 12 years old. It's Royals on the front with Bo Jackson's 16, and she stitched together Raiders on the back with Bo Jackson's 34, and it's a really cool, like, double jersey, and I put it that's on, awesome. like, it almost still fits, and that's just more about that I was a pretty big 12-year-old than I'm, you know, than that I haven't gained. It's, you know, I think a couple of beers That's over the years. That's something to be proud of. I can't yeah. fit in anything from, like, college. So, in any case, I'm so pumped to have you here on the pod. So pumped to have you. You're also going to be on the gimme with us every week, uh, doing all your stuff from, uh, from the 15th Club as well. So, uh, this is such a cool little uh, connection partnership that we've got going on now. So, I guess the first place we'll start is looking back at Phoenix this past week. Justin, my, my takeaway from the weekend. So we had Dustin Johnson win the Saudi International. We had Brooks Koepka win the Waste Management Phoenix Open. We had Tom Brady win the Super Bowl for a seventh time and become the MVP for a fifth time. And so my big takeaway from the weekend was winners win. And whatever, whatever sport you're playing, if you're a winner – you figure out a way to come through in the clutch and to win. And I, you know, a lot of people might look at Dustin Johnson and say, well, it doesn't look like he has that killer instinct. You know what? When you keep winning over and over again, apparently you do. Brooks Kepka certainly looks like he has a killer instinct. Tom Brady, we know, has it. And other guys like Xander Shoffley and Tony Finau, where I won't say they don't have it because I think that can burn us at some point in the future. But I will say at least that 
they haven't shown it to us as much as some other players have. I thought you were going to go a total different direction because I took away from the weekend. You have all these colossal names in sports, right? Brady winning the Super Bowl, Kepka, a four-time major winner, wins in Phoenix, DJ wins in Saudi. And the biggest story of the week for me was another three-time major champion who came back to life on Saturday and then didn't get it done, Mr. Jordan Speed. I mean, he captivated everyone uh, on that Saturday. It was, you know, the, the reaction, not just on, I hate to, just pin it to a reaction on social media because there's a universe well beyond that, obviously. But it just <laughs> there is. a buzz, a palpable buzz, you know, around what this guy could do. And it just reminded me of just, you know, made me think about why he's so captivating as a player. Like the the fact that we have no idea where it's going off the tee and there's that element of that Phil Mickelson-ish type thing. You know, there's, you know, why is why are we so drawn to him? He's so honest about the way he goes about, you know, his struggles the last three and a half years and, his, you know, working on his swing and, and all those different things. Just he was the most interesting part of the whole weekend to me, maybe aside from, you know, the Bucks front four getting pressure all night and driving Patrick Mahomes crazy. That was, that's the real story to me. I know everyone's going to talk about Tom Brady, but, you know, if I, if I put a football analyst hat on, I mean, you know, the way that Pierre Paul and Sue and, you know, Devin White and those guys had pressure all day on oh, Mahomes was crazy. But Devin White that was, was the thing to me is that we had all those big names. And I walk, I step back and I think, Jordan was the most interesting part of the whole weekend. Now you can rank it all these different ways. You mentioned Xander and Tony Finau and, you know, all the close calls they've had. And if Xander is even getting close to that Tony Finau territory where he's close there week in and week out, he's obviously one of the most talented players in the world. He's number one in the Sagarin rankings, which ranks head to head for players, but he's over four now converting 54 hole leads on the PGA tour. So there's that question that's going to kind of hover around it, but yeah, winners do win. Right. And the, the Kepka reminded us of of why you know he's been so big in those big moments it was like he flipped a switch coming down the stretch and you know put together the shots he needed to and that huge eagle at 17 to win i think two things with kepka first i would not be surprised if his old buddy you know according to us in the media we always like to play these narratives up that you know dj and brooks are somehow best friends which I, i'm not sure that was ever the case and i'm pretty sure it's not the case right now did but... you know jordan and jt and fowler were staying together last week I don't wow know that's that. so yeah. weird no i never never heard anything about that i didn't even know they knew each other um so uh yeah okay so dj wins early in the morning i wonder if Brooks saw that, you know, I kind of checked his phone at some point. Oh, DJ won. All right. All right. Cool. All right. I got you, DJ. All right. We'll see. We'll see. And from what, that big you know. narrative sense, you take a step back and you're like, oh, everyone loves that Jordan Spieth is lighting it up on Saturday. And too. Maybe a little bit of a fire is lit under him. And that's the kind of thing he needs. We know he peaks in these giant events and he kind of, he's even admitted to it, talking about how much more the major championships mean to him than, you know, week in, week out on the PGA Tour. So, you know, maybe it, I know it, it's kind of narrative and we take us, you know, after it happens, we might take a step back and rationalize it a little bit like that. But yeah, maybe there is something to that, that, you know, Brooks sees Dustin win. He sees Spieth make a run. He sees JT right behind Spieth, you know, uh, and, and uh, the guys leading on Saturday and, you know, put together a huge week and got a big win. And one thing Brooks said after the round was, even though it was only 5,000 people out there or yeah, maybe low estimate 5,000 people. I don't know if they're actually counting. Usually uh, the waste management Phoenix open like overestimates. Uh, this one might've been underestimated. Yeah. The, the numbers are always a little bit off there. That's Everything's okay. a little bit off that week, but yeah, I will say that in most years when trying to prognosticate this event, I've looked at guys who like being in the spotlight, guys who don't mind, screaming fans and you know people partying around them say yeah cool you know come watch me i hope there's lots of people out there 
And so I factor that into what I'm looking at this past week. I did not factor that in because I'm sitting there thinking, ah, only 5,000 fans. That's not that big. It felt big considering we've had very few fans, if any, at any events recently. And so I think that helped Brooks Koepka. And he said it helped him. He said it helped motivate him. I do want to get back to Spieth, though, because you're a numbers guy. You're a stats guy. You're an analytics guy. And so the narrative around Spieth, or at least the question around Spieth, after a Saturday 61, after a title contention, after getting onto the leaderboard for the first time in quite a while, the question around Spieth is going to be, is he back? Now, we've been here, done that for the last 10 years. Yeah, Is Tiger back? Is so-and-so back? I, I've never really quite understood what back is. But I want to ask you, being a numbers guy, is there some sort of stat that we can look at? And whether it applies to Jordan or not yet, you can tell us, but is there something we can look at that would point to a player and we can say, yes, he's back because of this. The most promising number from Jordan Spieth throughout the week was his strokes gained approach play. I know mm-hmm. that the narrative around Spieth when he was at his peak was this guy makes more 20 footers than anyone on the planet. This guy makes more putts outside of 15 feet than anybody. The truth is he was a top five iron player in the world statistically in that stretch from 2015 to 2018 kind of that the halcyon Jordan Spieth days where he was at his peak. And he showed that on Saturday. He gained, well, I think it was like five and a half strokes, tee to green. He, I think he led the field in strokes gain approach for the tournament in Phoenix. You know, he was wild when he won, you know, the big events on the PGA Tour. His last win, the Open, I know you don't necessarily have to hit a lot of fairways to win any Open championship, but he was under 50%. And that's not something that you typically see on the PGA Tour. Only a few guys have multiple wins when hitting under 50% of their fairways. Tigers won, Jason Day's done it, but it's a really rare thing to do. And Spieth, you know, he he was wild all week. He was really wild. He was last in the field among players to make the cut in driving accuracy. But he was at a course, as you know, you get some of those spots in the desert where you miss it badly. It doesn't really impact you. And, you know, there's one course where Jordan Spieth is most tied to in his career where that is always going to be the case. That's Augusta National. Mm -hmm. You don't have to hit the fairways at Augusta. It's an iron competition and who makes the most putts. And that's kind of what we saw from Jordan throughout the week. Now, Sunday, he didn't putt well. He didn't make anything on Sunday. And I don't know, you chalk that up to, you know, there's going to be some rounds where putts aren't going to fall. But it's hard to chase together. a 61. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah really, you're gonna back be, you know, whether it's Jordan Spieth or anybody else, it's hard to make 10 birdies on Saturday and come back and make nine more of them on Sunday. Right. Law of averages says he's going he's gonna to even out. But if, I mean, if – Look, he doesn't hit that ball in the water at 17. He probably makes birdie on that hole, and he's right there with one mm-hmm. hole to play. I mean, you're looking at, you know, he gets in the house at 18 under par. He's, he just misses getting there with, uh, with Kepka. So, I mean, I, I, I was really, you know, I was really impressed by obviously what he did on Saturday, but the statistics he put together with his irons throughout the week or something that give you some positive vibes going forward, Jordan. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I What I took from that whole thing was – you're picking Spieth to win the Masters in a couple of months because of ball strike. I'm not going to go that so, far. Now, I will, okay. I will feel less foolish uh, talking about him being, I think he's second in Masters history in strokes gained total per round to Ben uh-huh. Hogan in his yeah. career. And I floated that out there in the fall last year when he was still first. And everyone was like, what are you talking about? Like, oh, Jordan, angry Twitter. Look, look, I'm just giving you the numbers, man. I'm just telling you what he's done in his career there. So, Golf Twitter hey, mad at Jay Ray. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, it, you know, I've, this week is a course where you don't necessarily have to drive it really well to succeed at Pebble Beach. So maybe he has a good week there, build some momentum. I mean, it'd be amazing if he got back in the winner's circle this year, but I think we're still 
we're still a little ways away from saying that that's a certainty coming yeah. here in, in 2021. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. So uh, we're going to get into Pebble in just a minute because I want to get to you with uh, what we both like for this week, see if anything matches up, because I, I have not talked to you about this yet, so I have no idea if we're on the same wavelength or not. I can't wait to figure that out. But we do something on here every week called uh, Five Questions, and we do uh, five questions in five minutes, and if it takes seven minutes, you know what? Maybe they edit. Maybe they just leave it for seven minutes. So I used to produce Chris Bourbon's two-minute drill, and it would come in at 628, and the producer goes, 628 is a two-minute drill. Like, ah, take it out of weather. Exactly. Boom has so, no – there was no there was no clock on that. It was <laughs> – My brother once came – my brother wound up working at ESPN for a long time, and when my brother was probably – he's 11 years younger than me, and when he was probably – Oh, somewhere around 12 years old, 13 years old, he came to ESPN and he was following me around for the day and didn't really talk to anyone, didn't really say much. And at some point we're sitting in Boomer's office and I'm producing the two-minute drill that day. We're talking about how long it's going to be. And finally, he decides then to speak up and ask Mr. Berman, uh, if it's two minutes, how come it's going to be like six minutes instead? How come it's not two minutes? And he looks at me and goes, kid, we have a lot of timeouts. <laughs> Excellent. Typical That's a boomer. perfect response. Yeah. So let's get to our five questions. Five minutes, five questions you never asked. I got to be honest with you. I get a little irritated when somebody calls me away from my golf. This is five under. The first one for you, Justin. I know people ask me this all the time, and I'm sure you get the same thing. So just tell us a little bit. How did you get into working in this field and specifically working in golf? Yeah. Uh, well, golf's always been a part of my family. Uh, my dad's worked for the PGA of America for more than 30 years. Um, he was a state champion player in high school, state of Texas, 4A, I think 1978, I want to say. Played for the University of Oklahoma where he met my mom. Mm. Um, I didn't inherit his golf talent per se, uh, but I knew from a very young age that I wanted to work in sports media. I mean, was, I've been a sports nut my entire life. And uh, those years and years of, you know, staying up late and watching NBA doubleheaders and you know, reading every box score in the Houston Chronicle growing up paid off when I became a research intern at ESPN uh, when I was still in college. Um, you're basically a professional sports nerd if you're in the research department. Um, you know, not just golf, but baseball, basketball, football, everything. Um, and that's where I kind of cut my teeth in terms of TV experience. Um, went to the University of Missouri, studied journalism there. And when I got out after that internship, had a job waiting for me at ESPN. I worked on SportsCenter. I was a researcher for the Scott Van Pelt show, which mm -hmm. was an awesome experience. Went and laughed my ass off every day for two of years course. for a job, which was tremendous. SVP is the best. Um, and then uh, kind of, you know, parlayed that into, you know, I was the kind of the golf guy in the research department. I was able to, fortunate enough to write for ESPN.com at a really young age, uh, doing kind of a stat-centric golf preview uh, for that week's tournament. Turned it into being the golf researcher at ESPN. Uh, golf Channel kind of recruited me in 2014 to come do the same thing for them. And now uh, I work for an analytics company that's based in London called 15th Club. My title is head of content. So I'm, I basically get to do all the same stuff I did for Golf Channel and ESPN, but um, I kind of go everywhere. I go to the Action Network and join Jason Sobel on his podcast, mm -hmm. or I write for The Athletic during Masters Week. It's kind of fun to bounce everywhere. I write for the PGA Tour every week this year. So we kind of gained our footing in the golf world before I joined. Please, American audience, don't get mad. Uh, I'm, I'm merely a mercenary working for the 15th Club. They're the analytics engine behind Team Europe at the Ryder Cup. Uh -huh. And they did some incredible work in 2018, getting the course ready for uh, Team Europe and kind of, you know, helping steer the strategy. Yeah, that one was Harry all your Frankie fault. Finding a way to make that work, make that magic happen. So 
What if the Founding Fathers found it too distracting to ride their horses to Independence Hall and sign the Declaration of Independence, huh? Well, you know, what about that? That's kind of how I got into it. I'm just a total sports nerd, and I was able to be lucky enough to turn it into a career. You and I have essentially lived the exact same life over the last however many years. I, I started ESPN two weeks after graduating college. I was recruited by Golf Channel to come down to Orlando and work for them. Uh, finally left for a smaller shop and, and working for a really fun place that I really like working for. And really, the only difference I can see is that uh, your dad was a champion golfer and my dad's about a 54 handicap. <laughs> uh, this means I, that you're much less of a disappointment in the, on the golf course. <laughs> It is fun being the best golfer in the family. I will say that much. I'm never going to get that title. I got a little brother who, who's a really good golfer, played in college. Dad still whoops me whenever we play. So, yeah, I'm never going to get to that title. True story. My grandfather, who passed away when I was in college, played golf all the time, lived down in South Florida, had a full trophy room and, you know, had all these golf medals and trophies and all this stuff. And so I just, growing up, I just assumed he was the greatest golfer of all time. I mean, it's, you know, my grandpa plays a lot of golf, has a lot of trophies. It wasn't until maybe about 10, maybe even like seven years ago, I went down and visited my grandmother, who's still alive now at 101 years old. And I, I started looking a little closer at the trophies. And I saw like Wednesday, two ball, sea flight, third place. I was like, um, how good was grandpa back in the day? She's like, oh, he was pretty good. He got down to about an 11 handicap. And I go, all right. I got him. I can take it. I, you know, I'd have to give him about three aside, but yeah, I, I think I could take him. So um, I, I guess that's a, uh, uh, that's a tip to everyone out there. If, if you think, you know, grandma and grandpa were really good players and they got trophies everywhere, just take a look at the trophies because they might not have been that great. So, okay. Time uh, is second, a great filter for one's athletic achievements. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, second question for you. I love Justin, when you start rattling off ridiculous golf stats on Twitter that literally nobody else would have uh, so many of them revolve around tiger woods, of course, but do you have a favorite golf stat? Wow. So a lot, you know, I'm, I'm asked this often and to me, you know, my favorite stats are usually ones that come about, like live telling a story during a championship. Right. So mm -hmm. um, probably my favorite one from earlier in my career was I came up with Saturday night of the 2014 masters when Jordan Spieth was in contention bubble ultimately won on Sunday. Um, Jordan finished tied for second, but um, I hope I get the specifics of this correct, but uh, Jack Nicholas was became the youngest masters champion of all time. 1963. 17 years later, Seve became the youngest Masters champion of all time. 17 years after that, 1997, Tiger became the youngest Masters champion mm. of all time. 17 years after that, 2014, Jordan Spieth was trying to become the youngest Masters winner of all time. When something comes together like that, like in the middle of a tournament, and he ultimately didn't win, so there would have been a great payoff if he actually did it. Really? But, I mean, telling the story in real time – that's something that's really kind of that, – that's the, the stuff that I really remember. I think the stuff that gets the most traction is anytime you put together some obscene Tiger comparison where, you know, it's, it's just, you know, something incredible. Like one of my favorite ones was Tiger's cumulative score to par in majors from like 97 to 2013, and he was like 256 shots better than anybody else who played 50 or more rounds in that yeah, span. Yeah, yeah. Like the only guys who were even close to him were guys who didn't play as much, you know, because they weren't, they didn't accumulate that many shots over par to where they got somewhere near Tiger. But, you know, he beat like 
VJ and Ernie and Phil by like 300 shots during that span combined over that. You put together something like that where, you know, it's never really been explained that way. And I think that can be, that usually gets the most traction, but yeah, usually it's something that's kind of, it's tough to dig up and you end up like my favorite one last year was after Xander finished sixth at the U S open. Um, he, he's finished sixth or better each of his first four U S open starts. And this took me like three hours to dig up. Cause I do a whole bunch of things to find it. Mm-hmm. The last guy to do that in each of his first four U S opens was Bobby Jones. Wow. So you come up with something like that. That's really kind of unprecedented. And that's, that's what's most rewarding is when you're able to unearth something that you know, that you've, I've never read before and probably no one's ever found out. Yeah, I love that. By the way, Nicholas, Seve, Tiger, Spieth, every 17 years, like they're cicadas. The cicadas come out every 17 years. It's like they uh, them at Augusta National when, when they're young. So uh, third question for you. Uh, this can obviously change based on the week, based on the event, but is there one metric that you see as more predictive than all others for professional golfers? I think ultimately, you know, what I've learned over the last few years is that in most elite professional golf events, strokes gained approach is the most important statistic to look at. Um, over the last few years, now that there's some, some growing number of shot link type data for the masters, it's one of the things that I thought was most revelatory because growing up, I always, you always just heard, you know, stuff about Augusta's legendary greens and course knowledge gathered over time. But really you look at the numbers in recent years and it's a, it's a competition of who hits the best iron shots, which makes sense with guys like you know, Tiger having immense success, maybe being the best iron player to ever play. Ben Hogan would be the other guy in the conversation. He's, an, you know, one of the best Masters players of all time. Um, I, I think week in and week out, that ends up being the thing that's most significant. You also realize, you know, I think conversationally, we often talk about a guy missing fairways and that being important. But really, empirically, the numbers tell you that hitting fairways in elite level golf at this point is almost irrelevant. So, um, you can, if you miss it really badly, it can be bad in a lot of places, but, um, I think ultimately strokes gained approach ends up being the most telling statistic most of the time week in and week out and putting ends up being, it can be important and it can be really key to some players who maybe have a lower performance baseline, um, with their iron play. Um, but there's a little bit of a random randomization in terms of putting week in and week out. Um, that's not nearly as reliable as something like Justin Thomas is one of the best iron players in the world. Everywhere he goes, he could possibly win because he brings that with him. Well, I'm glad you said that strokes gained approach because I I've gone on the same theory for a long time. And if you know, if you'd said, "Oh, well, it's uh, chipping from just off the green from 10 to 30 yards left of the green," I'd be like, "Oh <laughs> crap, I've been doing this wrong the entire time." So uh, we're at least on the same page there. I I feel like I'm for sure I'm in good company there. Uh, question four: At what point? Maybe it's always been this way for you, but at what point did you realize that? All of your the number crunching isn't just valuable for golf broadcasts, for studio shows, for helping the Ryder Cup team in Europe, but is extremely valuable for the gambling and DFS communities. Uh, I think once I started getting into playing daily fantasy, mm-hmm. um, which would probably be I don't know, probably like twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen, maybe. Yeah, when I was about the same. Building up, I mean, like, I mean, the couple times I had been to Vegas, I had you know put a few coins down on it, but you know, nothing crazy, nothing that I thought about week in, week out. And then I think once I started, you know, I started tinkering around with my, my dorky Excel files and realizing, oh, okay, I can find out who has the highest birdie average on these type of golf courses. And that correlates to daily fantasy points. And it was kind of a gradual, you know, kind of growth into it. And now that it's become more and more mainstream, less taboo, you know, I I mean, how far we've come in terms of 
conversations and content about, you know, betting on, on sports in this country in the last 10 years or so is, is pretty remarkable. So fortunately for me, that's kind of dovetailed nicely with my career. So it's, uh-huh. I, you find, you find I have no it, idea what you mean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's another way to get people into the sport, right? It's another way to tie. Look, if, if somebody is a, is more of a NFL college football fan and, you know, they haven't really gotten into golf before. If it's a window to get people interested in the sport and it's, I'll take a lot of my friends, right? When I was 22, I was the only one of my friends really like watching golf week in and week out. By the time I got to 32, all of my friends wanted to talk about golf yes. all the time. It's like mm-hmm. you open the door and it just bursts right through in terms of interest for people. So that's the way I've always looked at daily fantasy or betting is that this, this gets them interested in it. Maybe they go pick up a set of clubs. Maybe it's kind of way I view top golf too. Like they go get lessons, they get into the game. It's, it's all kind of, it's all good, man. It all kind of rolls in together for me. Yeah. Personally, I think the gambling thing is just a fad, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. No, I'm obviously I'm kidding guys. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I, you and I have benefited from not only being in this business, but being in the business at sort of the boom time of when we're getting into this. I mean, I can tell you stories that not that long ago, not only was I sort of covering it from this angle, but um, let's just say I might not have been uh, credentialed for PGA Tour events for uh, for the upcoming time. And now it's we've got a PGA Tour partnership and the PGA Tour is all in gambling and, and everything has moved, not just moved in the right direction, but moved very, very rapidly in the right direction. So uh, last question is based on the data, are there a few players, Justin, who you look at right now and say, how are these guys not better? How are they not winning events? And if so, who might they be? I dug up Seamus Power has really good numbers, great stats around the board. Like, I don't think I've ever seen his name on a leaderboard come Sunday afternoon. So, I mean, you can take that however you might want to take. There are a few guys who are really good in certain aspects of their game. And I feel like like a modicum of improvement in one area, they would win all the time. Uh, Corey Connors is a guy like that. Mm -hmm. He has through the roof ball striking numbers since he turned pro. He led the tour in greens and regulation a couple of years ago. He's a top 10, top 15 iron player in terms of strokes being approached the last few years. He's just not been a very good putter. And you feel like if he could make that next uh, one little step, like he could, he could really make a big difference. Um, I think Abraham answer is a really good player. Um, mm-hmm. His iron numbers are outstanding. If he hit it a little bit further and put it a little bit better, like, you know, he has the opportunities. He grows in his career to be somebody who wins a lot. Um, I, I really like his skill set. The answer to me, like, why, why don't they win more? I mean, Finau is in contention all the time, but I think that guy is probably the guy who had the 54 yesterday and ultimately finished runner up and Xander Shoffley. And then mm-hmm. his metrics for everything are awesome. Like he, Visually, if you watch the golf last week, you could tell like he drives the ball as good as basically anybody on the planet at this point. He's having his best strokes game putting season of his career. Um, his iron numbers are improving. Like he's good at basically everything. It's just a matter of time before he puts it together, right? And you can talk about the tangible things like performing under pressure, or intangible things like performing under pressure or um, you know making clutch putts or you know the things that uh, like Paul Azinger in the booth might want to talk about, like you know the leaderboard gravity and things like that, where it's not really like tangible statistical things. And maybe he needs to get better at that. But for me, it's really just like, it's like somebody like Dustin Johnson earlier in his career where he you know lost the 54 lead at the U S open. He had the issue at the PGA championship, putting yourself in this position over and over again, because you're an excellent player and victories will happen. Like it's going to happen eventually. That's the way I feel about Finau and Xander and to a lesser extent, um, maybe guys like Abe answer too. 
Yeah, I, I say that all the time, Justin. I'd rather see guys get into contention and at least get into the heat of the battle on the back nine on a Sunday afternoon and lose than finish in T47. Tee off on the 10th tee at 840 on Sunday morning. Be in the air at 2 o'clock in the afternoon while the leaders are still out there. That that doesn't do you any good as a professional golfer. So I think these guys will learn from it. And I couldn't agree more. Xander has every possible skill, and I just think it's a matter of time before uh, that all equates into some wins. So let's get into this week's AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Uh, the field is not great. The weather's even worse. It's going to be cold. I had, I had one player awesome. text me a little bit ago and saying he was practicing while wearing his mask because that was the only thing that would keep him warm on a Monday <laughs> afternoon. So uh, it is not going to be very nice out there. It's uh, a lot nicer to watch Pebble Beach from the couch this week than to be on site. But we can use that to our advantage a little bit maybe when we're trying to make our picks this week. Dustin Johnson as low a favorite, low odds uh, as we've seen in the last couple of years at plus 400 in most books, four to one coming into this thing. I get it. Uh, he's DJ. He's won at Pebble Beach a couple of times. He's had a pair of top three finishes in the last four years. He's coming off a win at the Saudi International this past week. He's got everything in his favor, but four to one. Uh, that is pretty short odds. Patrick Cantley right behind him at 10 to one. And then, then we start going down the rabbit hole just a little bit, Justin. We start getting into uh, guys like uh, Daniel Berger. And we start getting into the, let's say, I've got the whole thing. Daniel Berger at 18 to one as we speak. Paul Casey, 20 to one. Zalatoris, 25. Just, uh, Jason Day, 30. Jordan Spieth, 30. Francesco Molinari, 33. Siwoo Kim at 35 to one. And of course, a whole bunch of guys following them after that. I guess before we start getting into specific players, what type of player? Are you looking at this week? And, and remember, uh, it is not a pro-am this week, even though it's still called a pro-am. So they're taking Monterey Peninsula out of the rotation this week, and it's only Pebble Beach and Spyglass. Weather-wise, sounds like a good week to not have the amateurs out there slowing things down. Uh, yeah. too, uh, kind of a welcome uh, coincidence there. I think the first thing I like to do is um, I take a look at you know the average field rankings for winners at a certain golf course, right? So the last 10 years, the average driving distance rank that week for players at Pebble Beach is 40.6. That's really low. And that's 15 spots lower than the tour average over the last 10 years. So you take that and couple it with the fact that driving accuracy, the average rank is 30th and the tour average is around 26th. And it just tells you that driving the golf ball isn't explicitly important here if you want to have success. And that makes sense because like year in, year out, it's usually the shortest course on the PGA Tour. So um, that type of layout, maybe guys who rely more, gain more strokes uh, on the field off the tee, they may be somebody you steer away from a little bit. And, you know, you can see why, like a guy like Phil Mickelson, who, you know, famously has been driving it all over the planet for 30 years and winning all along the way, you could see how he could win this tournament five times like he has, to where it's not necessarily, you know, guys who, who gain lots of shots on the field off the tee. So, um, and then you take the flip side of that and ultimately greens and regulation becomes a much more important statistic than normal. Mm -hmm. The average winner of the last 10 years has ranked about sixth in greens and regulation at Pebble beach. The tour average is around 13th in that time span. So, um, it's a little bit more of an iron competition, less off the tee. And then you got the POA greens to deal with, right. And players typically, you know, it's not usually that huge of a difference. I know we talk about bumpy POA and, you know, guys like Rory famously always tends to mention, you know, wanting to get to get off that, uh, that surface and get to something more reliable, like in Florida, really putts between four and eight and five and 10 feet. It's only about a 2% make difference on the mm. PGA tour between POA and between all other surfaces. So 
that seems like a small number that's going to add up in a player's mind. If he misses a couple over the course of, of a round, it's going to add up there. But typically some of the guys who've been really good putting on POA the last few years, Patrick Reed is the best on the PGA tour the last three years, putting on wow. POA. In terms of I wouldn't have guessed that. And it, it came to fruition at Torrey Pines, right? Where yeah. on the South course, he putted brilliantly and, you know, missed a ton of greens, but still was able to gain a, a bunch of shots and, and, and ultimately win that tournament by five shots. Uh, Matt Kuchar is another guy who's been really good putting on polo the last couple seasons. Um, and another guy who has had a lot of success in this golf tournament is also pretty good putter on polo. Kevin Streelman, who I'm going to talk about later. I really All like right. if you want a course horse. He is the definition of it this week at Pebble Beach. Giddy up. Horses for courses. That's kind of what I'm looking at, guys who, you know, you can pick a guy like a like a Stuart Sink or maybe a Peter Malnati or somebody who doesn't hit the ball very far, and, you know, they have a chance to really contend this week. Okay, so I, I'm going to get into it. I, I love all those numbers. And Streelman, uh, by the way, doesn't have Larry Fitzgerald with him this week, so it might be a little tougher. He doesn't have his, his am to uh, help him out this week, bringing that sand out to the Larry uh, first team. Larry can play. Um, yeah. I want to get to sort of the top it. I will say, if you, if you want to make an investment in DJ somewhere, I, I don't mind him for a one-and-done pool. Uh, for those people that do the one-and-done pools, like, look, everyone's going to take DJ at a major championship. They're going to save him for a big one. You can get DJ at a place where he's 4-1, to one, where he's basically supposed to win. I don't mind it this week. Other than that, I probably won't be on DJ at all. Patrick Cantley really scares me because I'm probably going to fade Cantley. I don't think I'm going to jump on him at 10-1, to one, and I can see Patrick Cantley just playing – lights out this week he's played really well obviously that final round at the amex a few weeks ago in his uh, most recent start was really solid and so uh cantley's the guy that i look at that he could ruin it all he could ruin all the tickets for all of us but i'm going to bypass him as well and so i'm going to uh my favorite outright play this week is a guy that i think and i hope has a lot of the same qualities as brooks kepka did last week like kepka jason day is a former world number one like Kepka, he's working with a new swing coach, or at least just left his old swing coach. Like Kepka, he is coming off two missed cuts to start his year. What else? Like Kepka, he's got a whole <laughs> bag full of new clubs. Like Kepka, he's going to a place, you know, Kepka was there last week in Scottsdale, but a place where Day hasn't won, but he's at least played really well with top five finishes in each of the last four years. So I ask you, Justin, what do you think about my Jason Day play this week? It's interesting. I mean, uh, he's, if you just, so we're only playing Pebble and Spyglass this week, right? So yep. when I looked at uh, birdie averages and scoring averages, I, I just isolated those two courses. Over the last 10 years, Jason Day is third in birdie average at Pebble Beach and Spyglass combined. The only two with more, Kevin Streelman and Dustin Johnson. Um, his day's recent form scares me a little bit, and there's always that outside chance. I mean, the guy seems to WD as much as anybody in golf, and you know, his, his body's not super reliable Ooh, at bad weather too. Plays yeah. into that a little bit this week. I don't know. I'm, I'm a little he- hesitant to go, to go with Jason day. And I just don't think the value there is enough for me to, to, to go all in okay. one note on Dustin Johnson. Uh, the last two years, he's gone directly from Saudi to pebble. Okay. Mm-hmm. And like he's doing this week, one at Saudi in 2019, both times, 2019 and 2020, he faded on the weekend, 73, 71 and 19. 72-78 last year in the final round. Makes me think maybe he runs out of gas going week to week, globetrotting across the world. That 78 was his worst round at Pebble Beach since the final round of the 2010 U.S. Open. So when you're just 4-1, to one, I mean, right. 
if you're coming off a week off and going to Pebble Beach, I mean, yeah, okay, I could definitely see that. But I think tying in that, you know, having success, playing with the lead a little bit tougher than, you know, maybe a throwaway Saturday and Sunday where you're not contending and then going back to back. I'm a little wary of that for DJ this week. I think that's very valid right there. Uh, okay, so we've heard you you don't like. So whether it's one of those top guys who's uh, shorter than 50 to 1 or maybe a guy that's a little bit higher than that, uh, where might some of your favorite plays be this week? I think there's great value in going with a guy who is the absolute, like I said, the definition of a horse for a course at this golf tournament. Kevin Streelman, I see at 45 to 1. I've seen him at 50 to 1 in another mm-hmm. place. He's gaining more the last five years. He's gaining more than three and a half strokes per round on the field at Pebble beach. That's far and away the best of any player on that golf course. Add in the fact, you know, you got two, two rounds there, two at spyglass instead of the, is it two at spyglass or is it three at Pebble? I think three at Pebble. Well, there you go. Even more so than to be invested in that three at Pebble beach. Um, He leads all players in birdie average across all courses in this event. The last 10 years strokes gained T to green at Pebble beach the last five years. Number one in that category. He had four rounds in the 60s last week in Phoenix, top 25 finish. Another note that I really like, Sony Open Week, I looked into the players who are best on the PGA Tour on shorter golf courses, Mm -hmm. courses where it's not necessarily, you know, a distance contest and driving it off the tee doesn't necessarily help you as much. How many courses would that be? About seven or eight? Yeah, it was about 10. It was all courses 7,100 yards and under uh, the last five years or so. Streelman on courses 7,100 and under, averages more strokes gained per round than Brooks Kepka. So Streelman wow. on short courses, 1.6 per round, Kepka about 1.5. Just to give you a comp, that's not a knock on Brooks at all. Sure. It's just basically saying, look at the value you can get for Kevin Streelman on one of these short courses. So I like that's my favorite pick to win is, is Kevin Streelman. I don't know if it's going to happen. He's not a guy who's got a bunch of W's in his closet over the course of his career. But at 45 to 1 with that kind of course history, I love him this week. Okay, I'm, I'm going to reel off just a handful of names. This is, this is what we call in business covering your bases, Justin. So <laughs> okay. I, I don't do it as egregiously. I, and I'm certainly not going to name names or people out there who might just, you know, have a podcast and list 123 players every single week. And then <laughs> on Monday morning say, hey, do you listen to our pod? We mentioned him last week. And so I'm not certainly going to do that, but I will throw out a few names, just guys that I'm interested in. We want to get on to making our DraftKings lineup in a minute here, so I'm not going to linger too long on any of these, but Max Homa, who didn't play great in Phoenix, but has a really good track record on the West Coast. He's been playing well. Harold Varner the third, who's kind of a little bit of a flyer, but ball striking numbers, really strong last week. Just no course history whatsoever here. Could keep uh, the ownership percentages, at least for fantasy, down a little bit. Uh, just based on the value, Rafa Cabrera Bayo at 150 to one. Why not? I just think it's a really high number for a player of his talent level. Mark Hubbard, uh, the snail, who once got engaged right off the 18th green, so he's got a little karma uh, going for him. Andrew Putnam straight off a week where he didn't make a bogey, and so he's a guy you're pointing at me here on the pod. So I, I know you like Putnam. Cameron Davis, another guy that I like, and uh, have another Cameron, Cameron Tringali, and. Joel Damon, I'll throw in at the end of there. So there's just a handful of guys that one and dones, top 10, top 20 props, uh, DFS lineups, just a bunch of names that I like. Uh, any of those guys kind of strike you as guys you like and who else maybe that I didn't mention in there that you're Two of about? them sung to me. Uh, okay. HB3 is the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a top 20 player on tour this season, strokes gained T to green. 
and his, his driving numbers haven't been as good as they've been in years past. He's getting mm. it done with his irons, and that fits the kind of profile you know, here at Pebble Beach, a guy who's played really good um, like through the you know, three-iron through wedge. Uh, all four rounds in the 60s last week in Phoenix played pretty well, um, so I think he's got some pretty good value. I've got, when I made my DraftKings team, I made sure he was part of it. Um, the other guy you mentioned that I liked and I pointed to you about, Andrew Putnam, first guy ever to play 72 holes at TBC Scottsdale not make a single bogey. Last nine PGA Tour rounds, Putnam's 29 under par. He's one of the shortest players on tour, which, once again, that fits this same kind of profile. Guy who's playing well and is going to a course where he can take advantage of it. Makes his living with his irons and his putter. Really low price, 110 to 1 to win. I'm probably going to throw just a couple bucks on him. 110 to 1 to win with, with that kind of upside. I like it. Guy on a hot streak can kind of take a flyer on. The other guy who fits that succeeding on short courses number, um, Stuart Sink. Guy mm. won in California earlier in the year. Um, he's coming off three straight made cuts, more than four and a half birdies per round on courses under 7,100 yards. Mm. That's seventh best on the PGA Tour. That's mm. far more birdies than he's ever averaged over a full season over the last like 10, 15 years. He gains nearly 1.6 strokes per round on shorter courses. Same kind of profile that I was talking about earlier with Streelman. Um, that's somebody who I think you could round out a DraftKings team with this week and, and get some good value for. By the way, some of those Putnam stats that I used, I may have subconsciously gathered from you from Twitter. It's not still, it's like, it's, just, it's hunting and gathering. I, you know, it's like, we're looking for uh, nuts and berries out in the, out in the woods somewhere. And I just have to especially pick some a week up. Like, especially a week like this. I mean, you look at the field and there's not a lot of slam dunk answers. You know, you've got a guy like Jason Day really high up on the board and he hasn't won in a long time and he's mm-hmm. not quite the guy he used to be. You've got to kind of pluck this value from here and there. One other guy who I'm going to bet to be the first round leader. I, I this guy is the most volatile, fun player I think to watch on the PGA Tour. Ooh, I want to guess I, it. Hang on, hang on. Before give give me another hint. Always smiling. Boy, I'd go Varner because he's volatile and fun and smiling. Finished 11th here last year. Joel Damon? No, he's 14th. He's he's volatile and fun and smiley. The only guy on tour who went to my alma mater. Are Sweet Pete Malnati. Ah, Peter Malnati is, yes. He's one of the best putters on the PGA Tour. Short Plays hitter. really well in opening rounds, too. Yes, uh, above yeah. average with his irons this season. Like we said, shortest course on the PGA Tour this week. Finished tied for 11th here last year. He's top 10 on tour in birdie average. That's something you do not expect with a guy who doesn't hit the ball that far. And Maybe that's a product of some of the shorter courses earlier in the season. Um, playing out here, you know, of course, like Pebble Beach and then some of the other shorter courses in the fall. Um, but he's a guy who... I mean, he's just he could he's gonna go 62-75. I mean, you have no idea what to expect with the guy. He's got a ton of low rounds here in the last 18 months on tour. Nearly one in the fall. I think it was Sanderson Farms when Sergio mm-hmm. won. Um, you know, he's put together a lot of low rounds. I'll I'll put some money on him. First round leader and top 20. Okay. I like that. My my first round leader guy this week is Cameron Tringali. I he's he's had already this season a, a 66, a 67, a pair of 68s on Thursdays. Uh, coming off a pretty good week this past week in Phoenix, and he's played pretty well at Pebble in the past. So I, I don't mind him for a uh, first round. And, and when you're talking first round leaders, as you know, it's like, I, sure. Well, you know, yeah. I'll buy a lottery ticket. Why not? Absolutely. So, it's kind of how I feel about Peter. You know, you just, there's a decent chance that he's going to go out there and put together a low number, or he can go out and make three doubles on his first nine holes. I have no idea. He's, He's, you know, he's like a, he's like diet speeth in that sense. <laughs> All 
All right, so let's get to making our own DraftKings lineup, and uh, we do it every week here on the pod, and we go back and forth and pick our guys. Want to be a DFS millionaire? You're just one lineup away. We're going to go nose to nose with him, and you're going to play better than you ever dreamed of, because God damn it, that's what I demand of you. So let's get drafting. I will let you, Justin, have the honors, and you're up first. You can spend as much or as little money as you would like, and I won't be offended either way. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with the guy who won in his last start. It was on the European tour. He finished runner-up to Phil Mickelson here two years ago. I'm going with Paul Casey. Um, mm. I think that he's got a pretty good pretty good track record here. He gained nearly 17 strokes, tee to green, in his win at Dubai. Five more than any other player. That's how well he hit the golf ball. Um, he was second in the field in strokes gained approach in Dubai. Um, I like him a lot this week. I think he's a really solid anchor to have on, this, on, on the team. That's a nice one. I think Paul Casey's got a very high floor, if nothing else, this week. I also remember Paul Casey telling me a story about how when he'd first gotten on tour, he somehow got in a practice round with Phil, and they were standing on the seventh tee at Pebble, of course, the 103-yard hole or whatever it is, and he said, hey, Phil, I bet I could throw it onto the green from here. Phil said, no way. He goes, how much you want to bet? And they bet something. You know, he said it wasn't a crazy amount for Phil kind of money. It wasn't like crazy money, but he's a rookie on tour. He doesn't have much money. And he's like, man, I better be able to do it. I've never, I haven't actually tried, but I know I got a pretty good arm. Phil's sitting there going, no, you're from England. You don't, you don't never played football, never played baseball. You don't have an you're arm. Like, kick it on. Kick it. Yeah. <laughs> and so Paul says, I just wound up and threw this thing. And wouldn't you know, it landed a foot from the hole. Not only did he throw it on the green, he almost aced it. And Phil said, Was he still right, able to swing the golf club after throwing it as hard as he could with no uh, warm-up? He, I believe he did say that his arm did hurt afterwards, but he was able to get it there. Uh, Paul's one of my favorite guys on tour, by the way. So I, I like that play. I'm going to go with my favorite outright play. Uh, you made a great point that in the cold weather, Jason Day's back is very possible to just seize up and he, he bags it, but the, the past history is too much to ignore. Uh, top five finishes each of the last four years. The ball striking numbers were good last week. And so uh, 9,500, hey, you spent money, I'm going to spend money. That's how it works okay. around here. All right. <laughs> I like it. Uh, throw it back to me. I'm going to go back to my my call earlier, the long shot to win. The guy who didn't make a bogey all week at TPC Scottsdale, Andrew Putnam. Um, rattled off the numbers why I like him. Playing really good golf. He's not a very long player. I think this is a week he can take advantage of of, of some good form. Um, I think there's some value there with Andrew Putnam, so I'll go with him. Okay, uh, 7,400. I I was on the fence. Like I, I liked my Varner call, but because he's only played this event once, he missed the cut last year. And so I was kind of like, you know, I like him. I'm not totally sure. But you gave me uh, sort of the, the pep talk that I needed on Harold Varner. So uh, knowing those numbers, knowing the ball striking stats, uh, I am very bullish on Varner really for the whole season. I think he's going to win at some point this season, but I will take a nice finish from him this week. 7,700 on DraftKings. Uh, you're new here on the pod, so you can feel free to spend more than your share, and I'll find something to scrape the bottom of the barrel. Okay. I mean, I went, I went 7,400 with Putnam last time. Looking at the list, guys who I think might have value. Okay, I'm, you know what? I'm going to throw you a bone. This is my first time here. I don't want to be presumptuous. So I'm going to go with the veteran at 7,200 who won earlier this year on the West Coast. Mentioned a little while ago. Makes a ton of birdies on short courses. I'm going to go with Stuart Sink. He's played, he's made three straight cuts. He's got some good form. You know, I just like all the metrics on these shorter courses. He's able to take advantage of an event like this here later in his career. You know what? I just think this is, I mean, you and I have known each other for a long time. 
But I want to start out on the right foot here on the pod. You know, I, I, I want us to enjoy each other's company. I want us to agree on some things. I don't want there to be any animosity between us. So I have 7,800 left to spend. And I'm going to put it on Peter Malnati. How's All that right, there we go. <laughs> M-I-Z, let's go, baby. <laughs> So there's the lineup. Paul Casey, Stuart Sink, Jason Day, Peter Malnati, Andrew Putnam, Harold Varner III. That's a solid lineup. I I think that there's a way to, in DFS this week, get uh, a pretty good differentiation from what a lot of other people are doing. And so um, we did that with – and Peter Jennings always says, don't spend all your money. If you want to differentiate, don't spend it all. We spend it all. I still think we're differentiated enough. I I agree. I agree. I mean, I think this is – like we were talking about, this is one of those weeks where – it's just not a super strong field. Uh, the name of the tournament has more prestige than the, like the level of a field it gets every year. And maybe that's because it's a pro-am. And even though we don't have that set up this year, um, I don't know. I think if you've got three rounds at Pebble Beach, some of these guys who've got a little bit more experience on that golf course, maybe it pays off. And so a couple of our picks, whether it's Casey or like Stuart Sink, a guy I, I like with some value this week, you know, I, I think there's uh, there's something to be said for that. I love it. Uh, we're going to smash this and, uh, hopefully you'll come back and, and continue being my podcast partner after this. Hopefully I haven't uh, pissed you off with my picks or anything too much. So uh, Justin, Not Ray, thanks so much. This has been awesome. Uh, you're joining us also on the gimme starting this week, Wednesday, 8 30 PM Eastern time. So uh, that'll be on all your social channels. You'll be able to find it on the action network and golf bet and so many other places. And uh, this has been a blast. Uh, can't yes, wait. Sir. Hopefully Absolutely. this is, uh, the continuation of a, a long uh, friendship and uh, working relationship here. So um, really appreciate you and uh, great stuff today. Yeah, man, let's make some money. How about it? I love that idea. <laughs> Thanks to everyone for listening out there. And you make some money too. Here's hoping you guys hit the green. We're finished talking.